Dane Wigginton, I am so excited to finally get to talk to you about this topic today. A pleasure to be here, Luke. Again, I'm very grateful for you and your voice on, on this issue that too few people are aware of and the gravity and immediacy of the threat posed by what's happening in our skies can't be overstated. Yeah, damn right. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background in, into my relationship with this particular issue. Um, sometime shortly after 9-11, I became aware that the news sources that I had relied upon were um, unworthy of my attention <laughs> and credence. So I started to look for alternative sources of information about what was going on in the world. And somewhere in there, I, I heard the term geoengineering or chemtrails. And so I started to look up in the sky and I lived in Los Angeles at the time. And during that period of the early 2000s, it was like we were in a war. I mean, it was tic-tac sky, tic skies every single day. Every once in a while on a windy day, you'd get a break. And it was just absolutely so obvious um, to the point where I used to go out and film them just to show people to say, what, have you not seen this? And of course, I was called a conspiracy theorist uh, and that they were just, just natural contrails, just condensation as a result of normal everyday air travel. And the thing that always struck me about that was the fact that you could see a contrail, a condensation trail from a plane in the sky where it would emit from the back of the plane and dissipate within a few seconds or a couple minutes, just like they did when I was a kid laying on the grass looking up at the sky. And at the very same time, you'd see another plane in the sky leaving this trail that would then last the entire day and eventually become a hazy, foggy, cloudy day when it was formerly a sunny day. So I wondered... Well, how am I, if it's condensation, how am I seeing those two events, those two phenomena at the same time at presumably a relatively similar altitude with the same weather? Add to that, there's, there's three things that kind of made me really concerned and that no one has been able to logically refute. The other thing was they would stop and start. I'd see a plane spraying a chemtrail and then it would stop and start and stop and start. And I thought, well, you can't just turn the engines off on a plane. So it was just, if it was exhaust in a condensation trail, then therefore that would mean the plane just turns its engine off and is just coasting. And the third thing was that when I lived in Los Angeles, I knew where LAX was and I knew where the flight patterns were because I lived there for 32 years and I know which way the planes go and which way they don't. And so there would be these tic-tac-toe patterns that had nothing to do with the flight paths of normal commercial flights. And, you know, in addition to just having common sense and a gut feeling about it, those were some of the things where I thought, okay, there, there's something going on here that people don't want to talk about and don't want to admit. And thus, I ended up finding your work at Geoengineering Watch. Is it .org? Uh, .org is our site. We own .com as yeah. well. Yeah. It's, it all goes to okay. the same site, geoengineeringwatch.org, yeah. So I, I found your site and was like, finally, there's a go-to reference, a catch-all location where the scientific facts, the historical references, and a very straightforward, logical approach to this issue is being presented to the public. And that's why we're having this talk today. That's what led me here to you. So my first question is, what led you into becoming interested in this topic in the first place? Oh. If I could back up for a moment, and then I'll get to that question on your observations, which are are so correct, so on target, that logically, rationally, 
more of the public should be able to deduce, as you did, that this is not what we're being told, that it's certainly not condensation. I wanted to point out, even on the shorter, brighter trails that seem to dissipate, still in almost all cases, a form of particle disbursement. We have fuel additives in this equation as well. So some of the consistent short trails that seem to dissipate are still likely a form of geoengineering dispersion. Because we know we have high bypass turbofan jet engines in all military tankers, all commercial carriers, that's a, a jet powered fan, 90% of the air that moves through that engine is not combusted. By design, it's nearly incapable of producing any condensation trail except under rare and extreme circumstances. So again, in most cases, even the short bright trails that seem to disappear are likely a form of dispersion. And then we have the bigger forms, as you observed, turning on and off, obviously impossible if it was, quote, condensation. And condensation certainly doesn't behave that way. If we have a, a documentary of someone in Antarctica and their breath is condensing, they don't have a cloud hanging over them after a few minutes. So again, this is not what condensation does. We know this is a particle dispersion. We have the proof of this in the geoengineering watch film, the dimming. But back to your question, and then I'll, I'll give the mic back to you how I became completely immersed in this battle. My off-grid home on the east side of Lake Shasta, I have some background in renewable energy. I work for Bechtel Power, the world's largest engineering firm. I, I left at a young age because of the corruption that I saw. I didn't want to be a part of that. But my home with wind, hydro, and solar was on the cover of the world's largest renewable energy magazine. And when I finished this project and I my whole life tried to get to clean air moving out of Southern California. And no sooner was I done large operating solar system, I began to lose extreme amounts of my solar power uptake from whatever these aircraft were emitting. I mean, in some days, Luke, it would be 70, 80% of my solar power uptake was lost. That doesn't mean a 70 or 80% reduction in overall light. It's direct sunlight that matters. Solar panels don't work unless they have direct sunlight. And I knew this could not be condensation. And I began to research, found the subject of climate engineering, solar radiation management, the intentional objective of spraying light scattering particles into the sky for the stated purpose of blocking some of the sun's incoming thermal energy. And certainly that's exactly what appeared to be going on in the skies above me. I began to test my precipitation, did not want to find climate engineering elements starting with aluminum. And I was dismayed on the very first test to find those elements, I talked to a geohydrologist about those elements being in my rain here in this filtered forested location of Northern California, no industry, nothing between me and Japan, basically. And the levels were already high at seven parts per billion. I continued to test, and over the next 18 months, I had single rain events with as high as 3,450 parts per billion of aluminum in a single rain test. That's highly toxic rain, enough to kill soil microbiome, enough to affect root systems. And so after 18 months of research, Luke, it was clear these projects were absolutely going on. It's not in my nature to look the other way. I can't do it. Although I was was retired and, and managing the habitat preserve here on the east side of the lake, and I wanted to spend the rest of my days planting trees and watching them grow, I simply couldn't do that in good conscience. And I've been focused on this battle for the last two decades. Wow. Wow. What a story, man. Yeah. I, and I know you've been dedicated to it because when we first spoke, I think I just emailed you through your website or something a number of years ago, must have been maybe five or six years ago. 
And you said, yeah, I'd like to do your podcast. And then we got you know, to booking it over the next couple of weeks. And you said, man, Luke, I got to be honest. I'm just, I got my head down in this mission. You know, it's like, we're in a war, man. And I, I can't take an hour off, you know? And I thought, respect, dude, respect. You know, I really appreciate your commitment. And from where I'm sitting here, and, you know, I, I'm, I don't know a lot about geology and weather and, um, you know, the environment at large. I just know that I have an understanding that myself and everyone and everything on the planet is able to sustain life as a result of that environment. We come of the earth, right? We go back to the earth. It, I really look at the earth as our mother. And um, so if there's any point of contention I have with the powers that be that unfortunately have sort of wrestled, not sort of, have literally wrestled control of the entire human population and now the environment, my main issue with them, apart from the obvious like starting wars and killing innocent people, is the destruction of the environment. And my main point of contention there is the is the sort of shell game that they play in imposing some version of communism under the guise of protecting the climate while ignoring the fact that, in my opinion, and maybe you share this, that the main threat we have to the environment with all of the pollution and all of the issues that we face that are very real, the real elephant in the room is the geoengineering and perhaps second only to wireless communications and the proliferation of radiation in our environment. And I know you have some dots you've connected in how those interface, but I'm as passionate about this particular topic as anyone I know because it just seems so obvious that if we're A, polluting the environment and B, blocking out the nourishing frequencies of sunlight that everything on the planet needs to survive, this should be at the top of everyone's list when it comes to environmental activism. And yet the activists that are wanting to exert more control and take away our freedoms and usher in communism, pretend like this doesn't exist, even though the heads of those organizations do, and the powers that be are the ones that are actually doing it. So it's just, you know, the rebel in me, the old high school punk rocker is like, God damn it, this is so wrong. Um, so I want to ask you the next question here. Something I have observed over the, the years, when I first became aware of this in the early 2000s, I would travel to different countries like India, Mexico, Brazil, and I was so used to seeing this, you know, so prevalent and consistently in Los Angeles that when I traveled to those other countries, I would notice that it wasn't happening. And then over the years, I've noticed that it has sort of spread into some of those other countries, but there still be times where I travel. Uh, I was recently in Costa Rica. I didn't see one chemtrail the entire time I was there. And so I, I find it strange that if, if, again, if it was a natural phenomenon, then it would be happening everywhere. And so when I started to travel to other countries and found that it wasn't, and they have air travel there just as much as anywhere else, that was kind of a telltale sign. So at this point right now, is this a worldwide operation? And if so, are there any countries that are not involved in it? Did I just get lucky on one week in Costa Rica? Or are there some places that are less, um, less active in terms of this phenomenon? Let me, let me back up a considerable distance. First, on your last question, yes, this is absolutely global. And you may have hit some countries that have less dispersions, and you may have hit them on, an, on a window of time when there was maybe none. But the contamination is ubiquitous. And we have countries like Iran 
that are not participating in these programs that are on the floor of the UN, in fact, voicing their angst at the weather warfare, because that's in fact what this is. This is a form of weather warfare. So we have the climate already being damaged from countless forms of human activity, and then weather warfare being waged on top of that. It's a truly lethal mix. So the, yes, again, the contamination ubiquitous, all countries with very few exceptions, either actively or passively participating. And again, it depends on where the weather systems move, where the jet streams normally flow. That dictates much of where the spraying occurs. So there's many variables. And I've actually spoken to the Costa Rican ambassador in a online webinar to a number of UN people about this issue, and they are aware of it as well. But again, countries that aren't participating, Iran stands out in that regard. And, and to back up further, I, like you, see the planet, understand logically, rationally, no environment, no people. And this willful decimation of the life support systems of the planet is simply driving us towards self-imposed near-term planetary omnicide. And then we have the starting of wars on top of that. Now, if I can weave those together, because they are absolutely connected, even the events of the last two weeks, that geoengineeringwatch.org has stated on the record emphatically for the entire decade and a half of our existence that when biosphere collapse became all but impossible to hide, and that includes the climate engineering elephant in the equation, as you correctly stated, that we would see three major cards being played, pathogen release, false flag events, and global conflict. And indeed, we see those cards being played now. So once the controllers can't hide the magnitude of biosphere collapse and we're close to store shelves emptying out, i.e. food shelves and so forth, then they will become incredibly desperate. We see that now. And to, to wage war on a planet that's already dying is absolutely omnicidal. So we are, we are hurling toward uh, near-term planetary omnicide species extinction rate off the scale. It's, a, it's currently 15,000 times the background rate. That's a million and a half percent of normal insects crashing around the globe. If the insects can't make it, how are we to survive? 80 to 90% crash. Geoengineeringwatch.org was the first major source to disclose the insect population crash over a decade ago, and we are marginalized by the so-called climate science community and science community in general. Now they've admitted to it because they can't hide it. But again, how bad, Luke, does it have to be before populations realize, as you correctly stated, we have to prioritize what's happening in our skies is the biggest hole in the bottom of the boat. If we don't plug that hole, we're done in the very, very near term period. And to add to this, and you can elaborate to the degree you want, we have two elements in our precipitation testing, polymer fibers and graphene that we know are used militarily as biological carrier platforms. That means to carry a biological from the clouds to the ground. We have the world's second most recognized climate engineer, Dr. Ken Caldera, who now works for Bill Gates. He's a former Department of Defense scientist. We have an audio of him stating what he did for the DOD was to design ways of spraying pathogens into clouds to infect the populations below. So again, these are some very ominous dots in this is not just weather warfare. It's also a form of biological warfare. Just from the toxic elements we know are being used, what else is being dispersed on top of that? We can't fully know at this point. Man, it's wild. There's there's a part of me, to be honest, that doesn't even like sharing this information with people because it's so depressing. <laughs> you know, it's so grim. Like, I don't know how you do it, man, how you keep your finger on the pulse of this because it it, it can be really terrifying when you start to understand the magnitude of it and and the full 
reality of its implications. It's just, it's astonishing. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go there for people. And of course, at the end, we're going to give people some great resources on how they can um, activate themselves to build awareness and, you know, help those of us that truly outnumber the, the ghouls that are in charge of these operations. I mean, we outnumber them by the billions, literally. There's maybe, what, 10,000 people kind of controlling the world and these nefarious organizations. There's so many more of us. So we're definitely going to, hey, I want people to hang in there because we're going to empower you uh, toward the end. But it's kind of like we need the bad news first, you know? <laughs> This show is called The Lifestylist for a reason. It's all about crafting a healthy, vibrant lifestyle through all available means. Meditation and other spiritual practices, healthy food, supplements, biohacks, healing modalities, the works. So if you've cultivated a lifestyle that's letting you live your best life, especially in a world of sickies and Debbie Downers, be proud of yourself. And show them how it's done with the new official Luke Story apparel line. You've now got access to a plethora of wearable designs that project the ethos of this show and the lifestyle to everyone you meet. And not only are they stylish, they also carry a message to the world about who you are and what you stand for. The vitamin D's sun design lets people know how important it is to get outside every day. Make milk raw again is sure to be a hit at the farmer's market. And the Breathwork Sauna Ice Bath Repeat Design reveals the secret formula to living your best life. All these designs are yours for the asking on tees, tanks, hoodies, caps, and even tumblers for your favorite brew or smoothie. Just head over to LukeStoryMerch.com and check out all the goodies. And if you want to get metaphysical, Meditation is My Medication is one of my favorites. Or if you're into non-dual spirituality like I am, Make Duality One Again is sure to start some fun conversations. Explore all these and more at LukeStoryMerch.com. Um, there's another thing I wanted to uh, point out and just get your take on and see and see if I was the only one that noticed this. And I know you're apolitical. I think that's a really smart position for you to take in your organization because uh, it's so divisive and you're not trying to divide people. You're just pro-planet, pro-human as far as I see you. Um, but I did notice because I'm such a keen observer of this phenomenon that exactly at the time that Donald Trump was inaugurated, I was living in Los Angeles, the chemtrail activity there, and I don't know if it's causation or correlation, but it was definitely observable and it was consistent for the duration of that four years. The chemtrail frequency in LA County, I want to say diminished by not exaggerating 80, maybe 90% right at that time. And it's not something I ever heard him talk about. I know you were on uh, Robert Kennedy's uh, podcast talking about it, which I thought was really brave of him. That was before he was running for president. And uh, he was on this show a while back and we didn't discuss that. But as far as a presidential candidate, he's the only one I've ever heard even acknowledge that this exists. I never heard uh, Mr. Trump talk about it, but it was weird that they seemed to disappear. And then the moment he was out, they came back full force like they were for the 20 years before that. Did, did, did anyone else notice that or did you notice that as a correlation? We have heard that observation from some in some regions it was definitely not the case here in Northern California where the jet stream moves across us. We, we saw a, a steady, consistent 
occurrence of these operations. But we have heard that from some, Luke. We definitely, I can definitely say this, that when the Biden administration took over, that we have seen a market increase, a ramp, a further ramping up of these, of the operations. But they have been ongoing since the end of World War II, ramped up all along the way. And whatever fluctuation there might be with a particular administration, they have definitely never stopped. And regarding the, the dangers posed, again, by saturating our atmosphere with ozone layer destroying, light scattering, nanoparticle contaminants that are literally infiltrating the entire web of life. Aluminum is toxic to all life forms, period. And our lab tests from a, a specific U.S. state, which we haven't disclosed yet because we're working with a major institution in that state, and we don't want to disclose that until we have all the study done, but it indicates that they're dispersing somewhere in the range of 40 to 60 million tons of toxic nanoparticles in disguise around the globe annually. That's an inconceivable amount. So as you spoke of the hypocrisy earlier of so-called air testing agencies and so-called environmental groups that are not acknowledging this, all of the nanoparticles are going under the radar because air quality testing only tests for PM10, generally PM2.5, 2.5 microns, sometimes they don't look for nanoparticles. They don't look for any of these types of elements either. So all of this goes under the radar. We're all inhaling with every breath we take. And, and according to one recent science study, indicated that we may be inhaling as many as 20 million nanoparticles with every single breath we take. And that number would seem inconceivable to most. But you have to consider that a nanoparticle is so small, you can fit 100,000 across the width of a single human hair. And if, if you're followers Luke, go outside on a dark night if they can if they live someplace where you can get away from the light pollution brightest light they can find if you go out on a hazy day when their these aerosol operations are ongoing and you aim that light straight up at the sky and look straight up through the beam not sideways across it but straight up through it it is shocking to see how much is coming down you can't see during the daytime and we're talking about so much material in the case of aluminum that in northern california where i live we have i have in my possession from a contact at usd the original soil pH baselines from the 40s. So we have the baseline pH values that now have changed up to 10 to 12 times toward alkaline from 5.455 to 6.566. And so for those that don't know, one point on that scale is a magnitude of 10. So that's 10 times more alkaline from the contamination in our rain. And that, on top of killing soil microbiome, these organisms are not adapted to that more uh, neutral soil. They're adapted to acidic soils. And so, again, this is altering soil composition, soil microbiome. We don't see anything decomposing on the forest floor anymore because it's all but killed uh, microbiome activity. This is literally an annihilation of the, of the web of life from the clouds to the ground. And the destruction of the ozone layer, which is also most attributable to climate engineering, no acknowledgement from any official agency that has continued to pretend the ozone layer is getting better. And that's an existential event for those that don't know. We are perilously close to functional ozone layer collapse. And perilously doesn't mean centuries or decades. It means two or three years. That's how close we are to functional ozone layer collapse. Game over. Can't grow food anymore. No plankton. Oceans die. We die. No acknowledgement from any official agency. Geoengineeringwatch.org has absolutely held this conclusion because it's based on data for the entire time in the recent the last decade and a half, when Luke, you've probably seen stories surface now and then that the ozone layer is getting better, it's all going to be fine in 50 years, absolute total nonsense. And so we see now an acknowledgement as of two weeks ago from official sources 
that the ozone hole in Antarctica is the worst it's ever been, three times the size of the continental U.S., and the rest of the planet is not far behind. So again, from every conceivable direction, climate engineering is pounding the nails into our collective coffins as they use weather as a covert weapon of war. Wow. Yeah. Another big smoking gun for me in this is the prevalence of aluminum in the atmosphere when aluminum doesn't exist in isolation in nature, right? It's not like magnesium or calcium or phosphorus or anything that exists. It, it needs to be mined and isolated in order to be made into particulate. And so there's that. And also the prevalence of aluminum in our bodies. And I've been living as clean a lifestyle as you could possibly live for a couple decades now. And each and every time I do any kind of heavy metal testing, I've got really high aluminum. And I've done chelation and all sorts of metal detoxes. And maybe I knock it down and then I retest a while later and it's back. And I'm thinking, I've never, you know, at least in many years, I don't use aluminum cookware. Like there's no other source of aluminum in my life that I'm aware of where I could be picking that up. And I know that's true of a lot of people listening that are aware of heavy metal toxicity and whatnot. So that's a that's a really obvious indication that if there's this specific metal everywhere in the environment, in the soil and in our bodies, in the air and the waters, and it needs to be extracted by humans in order to be put there, what's doing it if it's not that, right? It's, well, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest smoking guns, aside just from opening your two eyes and looking up in the sky and seeing them as you know empirical evidence. You're completely correct. And uh, aluminum does not exist in the environment in free form naturally, period. Always, it's a very reactive metal. It's always bonded to other elements. It has to be mined, refined, and dispersed for it to be there in free form. And yet we have state-certified labs lying to our faces at geoengineeringwatch.org. We had a the head of a state-certified lab tell me to my face that it's normal for aluminum to be in our rain. We should expect it, nothing to worry about. Now, now, how does this person get in that position that they would just completely fabricate that kind of a statement in order to protect their vocation, if you will? And that's exactly what most people are doing, not just in the climate science community or the lab community or the medical industrial complex, but uh, all of them at this point, so many are towing the line for total insanity that will lead us to near-term planetary omnicide again just to protect their paychecks and pensions. So on, on the aluminum factor alone, again, the damage being done cannot be overstated. And, and we have that pile on top of everything else that I just mentioned on the plankton. If I could give some statistics on that, because people, I think, understand that's the base of the food chain on planet Earth, plankton. It's, it's the largest single source of oxygen on the planet. No plankton, no people. Because the ozone layer is being destroyed, we have intense UV radiation. We're getting not just extraordinarily high levels of UVB, but we're getting UVC on the surface. That's the last spectrum of UV radiation before X-ray. I think we know how bad that is. So that extremely high UV radiation is killing insects, killing soil microbiome, and killing plankton. Plankton have to feed in the upper layers of the water column. So when they do, they're being fried with this UV. And we now know from recent peer-reviewed study, the plankton populations in the Atlantic are down 90%. Other oceans, not far behind. So again, we have these huge harbingers of environmental collapse right now, not off in the future, right now. And we have the power structure feeding normalcy bias. So everybody goes about their lives with their iPhones, football games, pizza, politics, 
and nobody looking up and figuring out that the boat is going down and we're all on it. So again, I, I understand your concern about putting too much negativity in front of people, but at the same time, the lack of our society's willingness to face the truth, the unvarnished truth, is how we got here. Everybody wants a happy ending, even if it's completely false and fabricated. And I would argue, if we're standing in the middle of the freeway at rush hour, you're better off facing traffic. Don't turn your back to it. And as I've stated on many of my weekly broadcasts, Global Alert News, we, we are in 27 stations around the country. We pay for out-of-pocket. So we have no commercials, no sponsors to answer to, and no politics. But I've, as I've stated so many times, as we know from psychoanalysis, the hallmark of a healthy mind is an unyielding willingness to face the truth no matter how dire. And I would argue, Luke, there's great solace in doing that. Absolutely committing 100% to facing the storm no matter what, and with no reservation, no trepidation. And that's where we can find solace. And, and when you start to share credible data from a credible source, and geoengineeringwatch.org strives to be that source, we, have, we don't pass that data on unless we can back it up. And that's how you wake people up with, with images like what you spoke about earlier that you knew logically, rationally, that when you see an aircraft, it's turning a dispersion on and off. It's not turning its engines off, obviously. That's obviously a dispersion. And logic should kick in at some point, shouldn't it, with people? So when they have images of this and film footage of this, if they can share that with others, that's what wakes their circle up around them and once people have family and friends waking up to the issue, they don't feel alone. They don't feel unarmed. They feel confident that they can carry this torch forward. And, and all of us are capable of that, Luke. That's a really good point and distinction there. Yeah, I think oftentimes because of our social instinct, we don't want to be ostracized and called crazy. And the system that, that has been set up that's proliferating these crimes against humanity and crimes against the planet have instilled in us that fear of being labeled a conspiracy theory or a tinfoil hatter, a nutter, in an effort to keep us from speaking out as individuals because we don't want to be shamed, right? So it's like, I might see it, I believe in something because it's in front of my own two eyes or I've done research on a site like yours and found that to be true, but I don't want to speak out because I'm afraid that people will make fun of me and I'll be rejected socially, right? And and that that part of it seems to be part of the machine is this whole term conspiracy theory and, and different names that people are called, it, it keeps us in fear and keeps us in silence. So that's, that's a really good point. Are you aware of the dangers of EMF exposure, but don't know where to start when it comes to mitigating them? Then listen up, because the info I'm about to drop could save you a lot of confusion. I became an EMF Avenger after a nightmare of living directly under two massive cell towers for three years, unknowingly. Wouldn't recommend it. I had insomnia, migraines, blurred vision, vertigo, and nausea. It was a brutal experience. So when I finally escaped that environment, I was determined to avoid EMF to the maximum possible extent. And that, my friends, is when I learned about Blue Shield technology. Since 3G, 4G, 5G, and Wi-Fi were becoming ubiquitous, there had to be a solution. Well, thankfully, the mad scientists over at Blue Shield had spent 30 years and over $2 million developing their devices. Unfortunately, in today's world, it's virtually impossible to isolate yourself from electromagnetic frequencies. So rather than trying to remove or alter man-made EMF, Blue Shield devices give your body a healthy frequency field with which to resonate 
and this action prevents the majority of biological harm those negative frequencies can cause. If you want to really geek out on this, you can learn all about Blue Shield's scalar wave technology on the Lifestylist episodes 198 and 506. And when you're ready to protect yourself from that nasty EMF, just go to blueshield-us.com and use the code LUKE to save 10% off your device. They have products for your home, your car, as well as portable models that fit right in your pocket. And I have all three. You might have learned by now that the effects of EMF are a serious issue, so don't hesitate to check this out. Again, go to blueshield-us.com and that code is LUKE for 10%. Uh, going back to the insects, you know, thinking about that, I'm I'm 52 now, and so I've been on I've been on the planet for a few decades. I remember when I was a kid, if you'd go for a cross country drive, you'd have to stop at the gas station every time you filled up and scrape your windshield because there'd be so many bugs you couldn't even see out of your car. And I currently live in Texas, which is uh, a state that's got a lot of bugs. And I, I go for drives here for two or three hours, and I don't see any bugs on my windshield at all. And this is a place that has a lot of bugs. And so that's that's another piece of empirical evidence. You know, if you've been around for a while, you think about, remember when you used to go for a drive and you'd have bugs splatter all over your windshield and your, your uh, you know, the front grill and, and uh, headlights of your car? You don't get that anymore. You get a couple maybe on a 10-hour drive. It's It's... The evidence is there in front of us. So that's another interesting observation. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you, the the role that you've taken at Geoengineering Watch. And I highly encourage people, by the way, to go watch your free, incredible documentary that has all of the truth, all of the proof anyone could ever need, like irrefutable scientific proof uh, called the dimming. We'll put that in the show notes at lukestory.com slash Dane. One thing I have wondered, though, over the years is, especially in the past few years, with the um, you know the onslaught of internet and social media censorship, sometimes I wonder how the hell is your site still live? And you know, you have some degree of social media presence. I mean, you're a little bit hard to find if you just Google you, because I, I try. I send people your site all the time when they ask me about this topic, and I'll have to go sometimes directly to the link because if I search for it. I'll get a bunch of other uh, results delivered that aren't what I'm looking for. What what does it look like for you in terms of censorship? Have have you been warned? Do you have stuff you know removed from social media and YouTube? Does anyone come after your website? How have you managed to keep this message alive? There's a few questions I'll, I'll answer. I'll back into this. As far as our okay. continued presence on social media, we do have large platforms. We have two hundred, almost two hundred thousand YouTube followers and. Facebook, we've been heavily censored on. They completely censored the dimming within two weeks after it came out. So Facebook has has done that, absolutely. But we have been able to keep going on our other platforms. And I've been told by military personnel, one a general, that we do have a lot of friends behind the curtain, people who want this exposed, even people from the military who want this to surface. They want disclosure on this issue. So. I can only hope that that's a part of what's helping us to stay uh, on air, if you will, with our social media platforms. We do have, again, as we pay for out-of-pocket at geoengineeringwatch.org, our own expense, 27 radio stations around the country. That way they can't censor us, and, and we have those platforms always alive. But 
back to Google, as you mentioned. Now, based on our rankings, we've had almost 45 million, over 45 million visitors to our site. So because of our rankings, we were the first uh, link at the top of the first page if you search the term geoengineering for a number of years. And then overnight, about three years ago, we were disappeared from Google, from 20 pages on the issue, disappeared. You have to search our specific site name and, and even the name of an article, and you might find a link. You'll probably find a link of our article on someone else's site, but not our own. So Google has done their best to completely rat hole our data, but it's still coming to the surface in spite of that. And our posting of the dimming, which we posted for free the moment it was done, we didn't monetize anything with that film. Our only goal is to bring this issue to light. But in spite of total censorship from Facebook, we're still approaching 2 million views on the dimming and there's many other uploads of it as well. So uh, the word is absolutely getting out. And you have, Luke, every week now, you might have a dozen articles a day from the climate science community talking about geoengineering, solar radiation management, the fact that we need to do this immediately as if we haven't been for 75 years already with catastrophic results. <laughs> but the so-called <laughs> climate science community continues to pretend that this is something we could, may, might do someday Again, absolute cowardice in the climate science community. And so with all those articles every single day, people are seeing this issue and they're looking up and more and more are starting to connect the dot that, hey, this is going on already. And, and what does it take for people to realize that our government is nothing short of state-sponsored mafia whose job it is to lie to us, to, to convince us of anything and everything that isn't true, and we see that across the board, again, with from conflicts to climate engineering, we see the same thing. And how many times we've been lied to in the past and people seem to forget about it? The Gulf of Tonkin incident, the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq that weren't, again and again and again, lied to over and over. And yet every single time people forget about that and they, they gulp down the new lie because it feels better than facing the truth. And I would encourage people to change that paradigm. Facing the truth is, again, the only form of solace to thine own self be true, period. That's the only unshakable solace. Our will is the only thing we can call our own. Everything else can be taken from us. But if we protect those virtues that we've been given above all else, we could yet take a leap in the right direction. The planet is irreparably damaged already. If you shut all forms of human activity off right now, everything, including climate engineering, we will never know the planet we have previously known. That's a mathematical, statistical fact, short of some outside intervention from somewhere we don't know. Again, I, I don't know what that would be, but we know from past extinction events that weren't nearly as severe as this, the equilibrium periods afterward, for example, the Petum event 55 million years ago, Paleocene, Eocene, Thermal Maximum, not nearly as severe as what's happening now. The equilibrium period was about 10 to 20 million years. That's a long time. Does that mean we give up? Does that mean we sit down and do nothing? Absolutely not. If we can preserve any part of the planet's remaining life support systems, we have an absolute obligation to do so. We're here for a reason. If not that reason, then what? So again, it's not a matter of, we need to abandon people's perceptions as they've been trained to think that if you can't have a happy ending, don't even try. And that's a coward's way out. It, it, the example I've given on other broadcasts, if your child was in a burning house and you knew you had almost no chance or very little chance of saving that child, would you not try? Of course you would. And so, again, we need to think in those terms. We need to find our courage, summon our courage, and, and, and be on a mission. And, again, if 
in doing that, life has absolute meaning to fight against this darkness until we, we can't. But the bottom line is this activity in our skies holds life on Earth in the balance. And if at any point in time of the power structure's choosing, and we may be much nearer to that moment than people would dare to imagine, if they feel they're really losing control, they can put a much more dangerous substance in the dispersions and we're done. They have that option at any point in time of their choosing. And to think that they wouldn't do this is a very naive notion. We must expose and stop what's happening in our skies. If we can do that, we would drag so much else to the surface with it. Awesome. I agree wholeheartedly. And you raised a good point there too about the incredible gaslighting in the media. You know, I, I like you, have, have observed in recent years that the media and the so-called climate experts and so on uh, totally denied that this existed. And then at some point started bringing it forward, as you said, oh, this is something we're thinking about doing and to help the environment, you know? It's like, you guys have already been doing it since the 50s, you know, but acting like, oh, it's an idea that we're thinking about as a way to sort of tiptoe it in. So then the public awareness just kind of, uh, you know, concedes to it and accepts it as something beneficial. Meanwhile, we're over here like, hello, this has been going on the whole time. It's, it's an incredibly psychologically evil display of gaslighting and pretending like, you don't see what you're seeing in front of your face. So thank you for bringing that up. That's another point of contention I have with this whole thing. I've got a hot tip here for affordable sauna therapy. You heard it right. Check this out. If you want to burn more calories just sitting on your ass, detoxify your body, ease stress, and unwind, then listen up, my friends. Bond Charge is a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life big time. From blue light glasses and red light therapy to EMF management and circadian-friendly lighting, Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern-day way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. And my favorite new product from Bond Charge is their infrared sauna blanket. Now, I love this thing because it's portable and much more budget-friendly than a traditional sauna. Because I get messages somewhat frequently from listeners struggling to afford many of the exotic, high-tech modalities we discuss here on the show. Well, if that's you, this is definitely a great option. The sauna blanket raises your heart rate to that of physical exercise, so it actually burns calories while you relax. You can burn up to 600 calories in just one session. It's nuts. And of course, sweating also helps flush out heavy metals and other toxins, which are so prevalent in our modern world. I love the sauna blanket for road trips and quick sweat sessions at home. It heats up really fast and your head sticks out so your head doesn't get hot. So you just sweat like crazy very quickly. Plus, it's extremely low EMF, which is something I'm always looking for. If you're ready to grab one of these Bond Charge sauna blankets, here's what you do. Go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code LIFESTYLIST to save yourself a cool 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com. And again, that code is Lifestylist. Uh, for people that are listening and might be aware of this, as I'm sure many are, some won't be, but welcome to the party, those of you that are just learning about it. 
Uh, I think the question that comes to mind for for many of those that know about this particular issue is if the powers that be, the controllers as you and I also call them, uh, are doing this, they're also on this planet. Why would they possibly poison the skies when they and the kids that we presume they love are also inhabiting the planet? And my answer for that is we can't understand why they do things because they're psychopaths and we're not. <laughs> if you're, you can't understand the motives or the actions of a psychopath because you can't put yourself in those shoes because you have access to empathy, love, and compassion, and they clearly don't. Do you have an answer that's better than mine? Well, I think you've struck at the core of it. If I could add a bit to that. And to back up what you stated, Luke, we do know from psychoanalysis of those in power, there's a common thread. And that thread is a near total lack of comprehension as to the consequences of their actions, even to themselves, much like an addict. Does an addict know that the next fix might kill them? They know, but they do it anyway. This is power addiction, certainly. So you you struck at the core of this, but let me give some real life examples of what they, and, and to define the term they, that's those who control the flow of money. So your listeners understand it's not elected officials, which mean nothing. Elected officials are nothing more than puppets in the play. Some push back a little here and there. Nobody's pushed back like John F. Kennedy. And how long did he live after that? Not long. They took him out immediately. So again, the rest are simply puppets in a play and useful to those in power. But the they is all roads lead back to those who control the money. They control militaries. Thus, they control countries. And that's the they we're speaking about. But what have they done to themselves already that we know about? They detonated 2,400 nuclear weapons. They contaminated virtually everything on the planet. They did it anyway. We have Project Starfish Prime. If your listeners don't know what that is, they should they should look that up. And I would encourage your listeners to search and view this movie. It's called Trinity, the nuclear bomb movie. I think that's what it's called, narrated by William Shatner. If you watch that movie, you know that those in power are insane. And it's, again, I would encourage watching that, but Project Starfish Prime, Prime, a part of these nuclear detonations, hydrogen bombs in the magnetosphere, when they experimented with those detonations, they had no idea what it would do. They thought it could collapse the atmosphere, but they did it anyway, because there's no one to stop them. So we have that major glaring example. We have nuclear power that it's still being pushed, even today, as, quote, some sort of safe, renewable power. That couldn't be further from the truth. We have... A, a triple nuclear meltdown in Fukushima with no technology to fix it, no end in sight. That event by itself, if other factors don't do the job, the job first, will be a, an extinction-level event. There's no technology to stop what's happening there. We have Chernobyl that many people think is all better now. Couldn't be further from the truth. We have a nuclear depository in the South Seas where they, where they took the nuclear contamination from the U.S., and built this nuclear dump in the South Seas in a sarcophagus and dumped it there. How many people know that? That we took our nuclear waste from mainland USA and dumped it there. And that sarcophagus is also disintegrating along with the Chernobyl sarcophagus disintegrating. These dragons are going to rear their heads again soon. And we're building 60 more nuke plants right now. We have 442 online. Many should have been decommissioned already some decades ago. They're keeping them online. We are painting ourselves into an unimaginably dark corner, and those in power are doing this. But I, I want to state this, Luke, and this is important. Those in power couldn't do what they do without the active or passive support of the majority population, people that are more concerned about football games and Caribbean cruises and Disneyland than they are 
taking a stand, fighting for what's left of our planet, trying to preserve some future for their posterity, that must change. So in some senses, we're between the hammer and the anvil, the hammer of the clinically insane controllers and the anvil of a population that does not want to wake up from the uh, Truman Show, if you will, the planetary Truman Show. So um, we must reach a critical mass of awareness of people that are willing to apply their life to something that matters. It's not about a personal pursuit of pleasure. I'm not faulting people for wanting time to enjoy what we've been given here, but we have a responsibility that comes with that, and we need to remember that. Beautiful. Yeah, I uh, my hope was slightly restored recently. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll post something about this particular issue on my Instagram, and I, I have to do so carefully by omitting certain keywords that the bots want to censor or delete me for. But I just put a photo and wrote a little piece about, uh, you know, this is the real environmental issue as I see it. And, and I was so overjoyed that I think that post out of thousands of posts over many years on that particular platform got way more engagement than anything I've ever posted on there. And, and just a rallying cry of support and acknowledgement from people, at least that follow my account, by the way, you can follow me there, listeners at Luke Story. And it was, it felt so good that that many people were aware of it and, and not having it. And, and I just, I had no idea, you know, I wasn't even paying attention. I just thought, God, this thing is on my mind. I, you know, took a photo and just thought, God, why don't people do something about this? To your point, um, if we don't, who's going to? And I, I was at least, you know, a little bit encouraged that there are a number of people that do understand this. And there's going to be a lot more as a result of this conversation. So I'm totally with you on that. Um, so we, we, so we're framing this as, you know, this aerosol injection, uh, practice that's taking place. And you mentioned the aluminum and barium and these microplastics and graphene and all these nasty substances that aren't good for anything. What about, you know, harp and the interaction of these elements in our atmosphere and ionosphere with radio frequencies, you know, using the telecommunications, wireless infrastructure, how do all of those things interface when it comes to manipulating weather in order to exert control or as an act of war? They're inseparable from the equation. They're core to the equation, as you correctly stated. I'll, if I could finish that answer in a moment, I want to back up to what you stated that many more are waking up. I want to confirm that. I just interviewed in Africa two days ago in Nairobi TV on this issue. I've been contacted by another about other major publications. The Romanian parliament contacted me. We've had a, much of this type of contact coming in from people that are waking up to this all over the globe. But I stress that as those in power know they're losing control of the narrative as people wake up to what's been done to them without their knowledge or consent. Those in power become more desperate and dangerous than ever before. And they are openly discussing, intentionally triggering or creating or facilitating a limited nuclear exchange, nuclear warfare, in order to put enough particulate matter in the air to slow down the runaway warming of the planet. That's how desperate and dangerous they are. Is that part of what's happening in the Middle East? Your listeners can decide on their own. But that's how desperate and dangerous they are. So waking up is good. It's necessary. We need to reach a critical mass. But it's important to understand those in power will become more desperate 
when that occurs. And, and that is starting to happen, we see as well, too. So back to the frequency transmissions. Core to this issue, for those that are justly trying to address the dangers of 5G, and now 6G, I think, in some places, uh, that, that these communication transmissions pose, we hope that they focus also on the transmissions being used for weather manipulation, because those transmissions are far more powerful in the communications transmissions. We see some of the communications towers are being connected with service entrance feeds from the power companies that are that supply 10 times more power than those towers need for communications. And we know these towers, many of them are being used for climate intervention operations because we can see their effects on water vapor imagery loops. There's no question. And when you have these electric conductive particulates that are saturating air masses, saturating storms, when you bombard them with frequency transmissions, they have a, it has a repelling effect, Luke. So when we see the stirring of even hurricanes, that, that is absolutely occurring, inarguably occurring. If you haven't seen it or your listeners haven't seen it, if they search geoengineeringwatch.org hurricanes, they'll find about a half a dozen reports where we captured the frequency transmissions actually steering the storms with the NEXRAD network of transmitters in the U.S., that's why these storms now are being kept weakened until they get close enough to land to more effectively steer. We used to look in the Atlantic and we'd see these perfectly spun up cinnamon roll looking storms, very organized. We don't see that much anymore. They come across very disorganized until they get close enough to land and then they have a quote, rapid intensification. We see that term all the time now. Where the storms increase in their strength very radically before they make landfall, they can steer them when they hit land. And we can speculate on the agendas and objectives being carried out with these storms. But the fact that they are being steered is beyond speculation. The fact that storms like Hurricane Harvey, where the so-called weather forecasters, which are, again are reading a script, they knew where it was going to go seven days in advance. They knew it was going to park there and stay there and dump 50 inches of rain there. How could they possibly know that unless they're reading a script? And we capture the frequency transmissions that held that storm there. Your listeners can see this on our videos. So these are part of the transmissions used to manipulate storm systems to break up rain or augment rain. And then you have the bigger transmitters like HARP in Alaska. HARP is an ionosphere heater. And the, the term is exactly what it does. It can transmit three and a half million watts into the electrically charged ionosphere, causes an electrical chain reaction. And that radically heats the ionosphere, which pushes the atmosphere up and down from the heating. Again, they're using the atmosphere for a physics lab with, with no restrictions so that, again, the repercussions we can't even understand completely at this point. But the downward push of that atmospheric pressure zone forms a high-pressure heat dome. And Luke, you've probably heard meteorologists use that term now frequently, a high-pressure heat dome, and everything underneath that roasts. And around that, we have a in the northern hemisphere, a clockwise rotating upper level wind current, they can use that to steer the moisture current so they can direct where the moisture goes, where it doesn't, how much will fall. They can dictate that with what elements they use to seed it with. There is no natural weather at this point. And to, to end with this, anyone from any side of the climate engineering issue, from any perspective, if they are not first and foremost addressing the climate engineering issue, they are either ignorant or lying. There's no legitimate discussion about climate anything without addressing this issue first and foremost. And with the weather modification, I mean, obviously this has far-reaching implications as a military weapon, right? Because using these systems, as you described, you could obviously 
interfere with food production in a particular area by just starving them out uh, from rainfall um, or creating significant heating or cooling events, weather events that could destabilize a populace or even a military. I mean, do, do you think in, in the origins of these systems that the military application was was kind of at the at the nexus and then it's proliferated out and kind of caused all of these other problems, but it is at its core, is it really a military operation? Yes, you are completely correct. In fact, we should, to be very clear, Climate intervention operations, solar radiation management, geoengineering, stratospheric aerosol injection, all of this is simply other names for weather warfare. Any form of climate engineering is, in fact, a form of covert weather warfare. It is absolutely being used to target agricultural producing regions, period. We can see it on satellite imagery. We're not guessing. And again, we can speculate on the agendas and, and objectives being carried out, but the fact that agricultural producing regions, as you so correctly stated, Luke, are being targeted is absolutely inarguable. If your listeners search engineered drought catastrophe target California, going back a decade, presentations I gave, live presentations, and judge everything I stated then would happen, has happened. And the cutting off of precipitation from California is inarguable. We can see the operations off the U.S. West Coast breaking up our storm track. We know the high-pressure heat domes are completely blocking any precipitation or even clouds in other instances. There's virtually no question this is going on. And for your listeners that don't know, climate engineering is much more effective even at stopping and diminishing rain than augmenting it. Luke, you remember the Chinese Olympics when they stated, don't worry about rain, we'll make sure it doesn't. And that's exactly what they did. And so, again, these operations are extraordinarily effective at controlling precipitation. Look at Project Popeye in Vietnam, going back 50 years, so effective at weather modification with controlling rain that they, in the 70s, early 70s, they had international treaties forbidding weather manipulation in, in wartime. So, again, the notion that this is not occurring, that we don't have the technology or that we haven't been using it is, is absolutely beyond ludicrous at this point. And those that cling to the, quote, conspiracy theory term, as you mentioned earlier, if you hear someone, if they mention that term to you, that's the final fallback of the factless and the fearful. That's who uses that term. So again, people should stand strong against those who resort to that term, which means they don't have a clue and they don't want a clue. That's what it means. And a final aspect, again, to, to make clear on this issue on the layers of geoengineering, they can and are creating extremely abrupt cooldowns, surface cooldowns from chemical ice nucleating cloud seeding operations that causes the chemical ice nucleating process to occur much sooner at higher temperatures than it would normally. It's an endothermic reacting material. So when you see these flash cooldowns where it goes from 80 or 90 degrees to 40 or 30 in a day, or in Denver, Colorado, again, 85 degrees to single digits in snow in less than 24 hours, that's not nature. That's chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. It's called engineering winter we have a whole section on that at the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. So from every direction, there's no natural weather at this point, none. Entire system has been derailed. What's the story, speaking of winter, what's the story with the snow that doesn't melt when you hold a, hold a blowtorch up to it? <laughs> when, when I moved to Texas a couple of years ago, we were in the middle of a snowpocalypse to the point that we stopped in Phoenix and just waited it out for a few days because there was ice on all the roads and stuff. And I started seeing these videos on social media of people making a snowball 
and trying to torch it and it won't melt. What, what, what do you suppose that that could be? When you have a chemically nucleated element, let's look at dry ice. That's an artificially nucleated form of frozen material. It's called sublimation. And dry ice sublimates, which means it converts from a solid to a gas and bypasses the liquid phase. So when we have a chemically nucleated element like what we have now, you, you have a high degree of sublimation. So you don't have as much runoff coming off of that material. The runoff that does come off is toxic, again, killing soil microbiome, root systems, fish, aquatic life. But yes, it does tend to sublimate and you have snow falling. We, we have captures of uh, weather reports, local weather reports from, for example, Florida, snow falling and one occasion of 50 plus degrees. How can that happen? It happens from chemical ice nucleation. And we have patents that specifically cite and state that they can create this frozen precipitation at temperatures far above freezing in the range that I just described. So again, why would we think it isn't happening? I encourage your listeners to search this. Chinese scientists create artificial snowstorm. They'll find Fox News covered it, Popular Science, MSNBC, The Guardian. They did a billion dollars worth of damage to Beijing by turning what should have been rain into snow. No secret, but if you bring it up here, again, the conspiracy theory term is thrown out by the, the factless and the fearful. So um, we had better stop behaving like sheep and stand up and face reality, hold those accountable who need to be held accountable. That includes our so-called scientists and media, all of which are behaving like criminals for the controllers at this point. Uh, we are in a very, very dark place. And I, I can't I can't stress that enough. I'm not trying to instill fear. I'm trying to instill motivation to help us change course. Because if we don't change course, we're not going to be here much longer. And that doesn't mean decades. It means a very, very near term. And that's based on hard statistics right now. And if I can give one example of that, what we face is like a car going 100 miles an hour, 10 feet from impact. You can put the brakes on all you want. That car is going to hit and the impact is going to be brutal. And that's, that's the position we're in right now. But if we can alter the trajectory even a bit, the outcome will be different. We'll have taken a leap in the right direction. And that's imperative that we make that leap and it will take all of us to do it. Well, winter is here, my friends. Now, I don't know about you, but when there's less sunlight, it makes it that much harder to get out of bed and get down with my daily routine. And if I'm not getting good quality sleep, I am a hot mess, for real. And one of the simplest and best supports for great sleep and energy that lasts the day is magnesium. And the company I dig for my magnesium is called Bioptimizers. These guys have been in the game for 20 years, and they're always innovating the most bioavailable supplements on the market. Their magnesium breakthrough helps me fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, have more peaceful nights, and wake up ready to slay the day. Why it works so well is the fact that it's the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement on the market with all seven essential forms of magnesium your body needs, all in optimal ratios. Plus, it includes critical cofactors to multiply the delivery of magnesium to every cell in your body and absorb at a rate other supplements just can't match. So if you're tired of feeling tired and hitting that snooze button in the morning, head over to buyoptimizers.com slash Luke and punch in the code Luke10 to save 10%. And for a limited time, you can also get up to two travel size bottles of magnesium breakthrough for free. 
So to saturate yourself in some great magnesium, go to buyoptimizers.com slash Luke. And again, that code is Luke10. When I zoom out of this and and try to get my head around the big picture, and aside from the military applications, you know, in the case of warfare, uh, it seems to me that there's a direct correlation between the fallacious official climate change narrative, which seems to always offer as its solution some form of communism or um, the erasure of our freedoms and um, sovereignty, it seems like a perfect plan for the controllers to create these weather events of droughts or freezes and so on to then point the finger at climate change, you know, like climate change in quotes, TM, trademarked climate change, the fallacious climate change, and use our fear and, um, and you know, a lack of water and electricity and things like that that we need to survive to use that fear so that we'll be more willing to give up our rights. It seems like a perfect combination of circumstances that they're creating, like a problem-reaction solution, right? Like creating this really dramatic weather so that we then go, sure, you can ration my water and, you know, I, I can't grow food and you're going to limit my electricity and make everyone get, you know, smart technologies in their home that are babysitting them and monitoring how much electricity you're using and things like that. It, it, it kind of invites in a surveillance state, like we already have one, but an even deeper level of a surveillance state because they need to monitor us for our own good. And so therefore we're like, well, I'm just doing my part, kind of like the mask thing, right? It's like, well, it's for the greater good. I'm going to protect, you know, protect my fellows by wearing a mask, which we now know, of course, it was completely ludicrous, but it seems like there is um, a marriage between them creating these events and then offering the solution as removing our rights or our access to life supporting you know, municipalities and energy and so on. What have you found in terms of that relationship? This is where the equation becomes complex. And I would encourage all to, with basic logic and reason, to consider the entire scenario we're looking at. Again, I have great disdain for all the environmental groups, without exception, to protect their 501c3 nonprofit. They're not admitting to climate engineering operations, but we must consider and remember that every form of human activity that alters the planet's energy balance, that damage the planet's, damages the planet's life support systems, every one of those activities is a problem. And when we, we are currently consuming over 100 million barrels of carbon fuel every single day, 23 million tons of coal every single day. And we're cutting down the forests, we're paving the planet, we're poisoning the oceans. They just found it. I don't know if you know this, Luke, they found a half a million barrels of DDT dumped off between LA and Catalina in the Catalina Channel. Half a million barrels all Whoa. over the seafloor. That's, that's where they dumped the DDT. Half a million barrels. It's contaminated everything. They did it in the dead of night over the course of many years. This is business as usual. They're dumping nuclear waste in the same manner. And the... Although CO2 is, yes, it's necessary. It's necessary for plants, plankton, 
But when you change atmospheric chemistry so fast, you cause other feedback loops to now kick in. So now we have methane. And, and Luke, you've, you've heard the methane, the cow flatulence, and that angers people, and they, they, they think they're trying to take their hamburger away. And so they use the cow factor specifically to drive a wedge into populations. And that's not where the methane problem is truly coming from. When you cut a forest down to raise a cow, that's a problem. When you're cutting down the Amazon to raise cows, that's a problem. But the cow flatulence thing is simply to anger and confuse populations. Bermuda Triangle, is that's an example of mass methane expulsion in ship sinkings for many decades. Massive, formerly frozen methane deposits on seafloors are thawing and releasing, and that's what's been happening in the Bermuda Triangle. When that happens, this massive plume of methane rises through the water column. It aerates the water column like a bottle of champagne. If it ships above that, it has no buoyancy, and it goes to the bottom intact. That's what's happening. That methane then rises into the atmosphere. It's lighter than air. It starts to cover the planet like a layer of glass, letting heat in but not out. Now I would encourage your listeners to search Siberian methane craters and look at the pictures. You have to see it to believe it. These are mass methane expulsions. It looks like a nuclear bomb crater exploding out of the tundra. It's happening on the seafloor. And so in the attempt to hide this from populations, and this is another layer of climate engineering, in the attempt to hide this from populations, they are actually further fueling the, the problem, which shouldn't be a surprise. It's, look, it's like the pharmaceutical commercial you see. Take this for that symptom. And by the way, here's the side effects. And by the time you hear those, you wonder who in the world would take that. It makes the whole organism exponentially less healthy. So it's the same mentality. And so this is where, again, the equation becomes complex. It's not a this or that. It's a this and that. But what climate engineering has done for all our bad stewardship of the planet Climate engineering has taken us from the frying pan and put us into the proverbial fire. It has disabled the planet's ability to respond to the damage done. So in the case of the increasing CO2, which is increasing exponentially faster than it has at any time in Earth's geologic past, and that's a problem because many organisms can't adapt. But for those that can, that those that could have, that those that could have absorbed more of the CO2, like our forests, in, in some places, depending on the soil that's below those forests, what's climate engineering done now? It's destroyed the ozone layer, so the forests are being fried with the UV. It's poisoned the soil microbiome, as I mentioned, the root systems, killing the trees from the bottom up. So we have forests now, Amazon and boreal forests, that are no longer carbon sinks. They're carbon sources now. Amazon is all but done. I mean, we are literally facing a, a death of the Amazon in the face right now. So I'm giving examples of, in spite of the damage we've done to the planet, and we've done a lot, climate engineering has in essence, put the planet in a straitjacket. It can't respond to the damage done. The ozone layer without climate engineering would be not nearly as damaged as it is. Climate engineering is the core causal factor of ozone damage. Not the only factor, but the core factor. So again, we start looking at all these parts of the puzzle that climate engineering has put in the equation. And if we don't stop that, the intentional interference with the planet's attempt to respond, because you know life is resilient, right, Luke? You, you see a, a giant concrete jungle, if you have a crack in the sidewalk, you got a flower growing out of it. It give life a chance and it will find a way. But climate engineering is disabling that. They're using it as a weapon. They're not going to let go. And we have a population that has to reprioritize. Football games aren't why we're here, or politics, or again, the whole political theater of everything. I don't care what side of the fence. It's scripted political theater designed to distract and divide us. And we, we have to focus on the oncoming train or nothing nothing else will matter. No other causes, no other concerns. If the boat goes down, 
Everything else is moot, and this is the biggest hole in the bottom of the boat. How is this particular issue related to uh, so-called wildfires? I've wondered, um, you know, not just the changes in temperature, and a lot of these wildfires seem to be initiated by arsonists, which we find out later, and then blamed on climate change. That's one issue. But I've intuited that if we have all of this metal particulate as you said, you know, destroying the soil and drying, I'm assuming drying out the vegetation and trees on the ground. And we have these issues with the uh, UV coming through in unnatural ways. Is, is everything in, in our forest more flammable as a result of this? And if so, is that just a byproduct or is there some intentionality behind that? Your observations and deductions are completely correct. And there is absolute intent behind it. So we have an engineering wildfires section on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. And let's, let's call them firestones because they're firestorms. They're, they're certainly not an act of nature at this point. Yes, arson is likely a core factor in many cases, but that's simply the source of ignition. What is setting the template for these fires to burn with such ferocity? And that is absolutely climate intervention operations. That is the core factor here. In fact, if, if we had... On a warming planet, you have to have more overall rain, not less. The laws of physics make that very clear. We think with unfiltered frontline data, we are likely past three and a half C of warming right now. We should have overall exponentially more rain, but we don't. And that can't happen unless there's a factor we're not being told about. And that factor is climate intervention operations. So we know if we take the example of the U.S. West Coast, Climate intervention has cut off the flow of precipitation, creating extended periods without rain at all. When the rain does fall, as you correctly cited, toxic rain, killing soil microbiome, killing root systems. We have now a much more conductive atmosphere because of these electric conductive particles. It builds up much more static charge in the atmosphere. You get much more dry lightning. You have the destroyed ozone layer, which is frying the trees from the top down and you have, as you correctly cited as well, you have an incendiary dust. Heavy metals like aluminum are very powerful incendiaries. In fact, they're used in demolitions. They're so powerful. And you have this incendiary dust coating forest foliage and forest floors. So you have from every conceivable direction, you have climate engineering is the foundational factor that is fueling the firestorms, period. And it is being systematically denied, blamed on quote, climate change. And again, I'm not denying that we've harmed the planet. I wanted to make that clear to your listeners because we need that side of the, of the equation. We need that side of the demographic. Those that recognize we've been very poor stewards, we need them in this battle. We're not denying we've been poor stewards, but let's tell the whole truth. And in the case of the fires, and you see how that starts to snowball. When you start to kill off forests, now you have these massive amounts of carbon being released into the atmosphere. And back to the, the intent, Luke, that you spoke about. We have peer-reviewed science study advocating for the intentional burning of northern latitude forests to put enough particulate matter into the air to mimic the temporary toxic cooling effects of a volcano back to the pharmaceutical mentality to temporarily cool certain regions. So if you remember when the Canada fire started earlier this year, it certainly looked like various forms of arson were part of the ignition. But what set the template for those forests to burn like that? That is absolutely climate engineering. And where did that smoke plume go? It was pushed by the manipulation of atmospheric pressure zones. It was pushed down over the U.S. Northeast and dropped temperatures about 30 degrees. At what cost, though? At what cost was that temporary toxic cool down achieved? At the cost of 
eliminating some of the planet's last remaining life support systems. Most people don't know how much fire, how much forest is actually burnt this year in Canada, Luke. It's about 70, I think it's approaching 73 million, or excuse me, 73,000 square miles. The acreage is up in the 60, 70 million range. It's, it's 73,000 square miles. That's about 10,000 square miles more than the entire surface area of the state of Florida. Most people have no idea that that much land burnt this year, and the rest of the trees are dead and dying, 73,000 square miles. So again, if they search wildfires serve geoengineering agenda, one of our most important reports, they will learn what most don't want to know about how desperate and dangerous the climate engineers are. And we, I'll add this and then I'll, I'll turn this over to you. And we also found a military document, 140 pages long, titled Wildfires as a Military Weapon. And your listeners can search that source and find the whole document. We posted it all. So we look at Lahaina and what did that. And the climate engineering factor is core to that equation. There was a, a high-pressure dome, an ionosphere heater, high-pressure dome to the north, rotating upper-level winds clockwise. There was a very anomalous low-pressure to the south, rotating counterclockwise. Between the two, you create a wind tunnel. So now you have an 80-mile-an-hour wind tunnel on top of everything I just mentioned, flash drought of the area, which it was officially declared flash drought the week before, incendiary dust. And however it started, when you blowtorch that fire through all those structures, you create much, much higher temperatures than you would normally have. And again, look at ancient civilizations have been melting and forging steel for millennia because they use a bellows effect, a wind-blown effect into the fire, raises temperatures uh, many times over. And that's that bellows effect was created over Lahaina, blowtorched it, nothing natural about it, climate engineering core to the equation. Y'all have heard me talking a lot about silver lately to protect your wealth. Well, did you know that silver can also protect your health? Yes, my friends, it's true. Wise men and women have known about the healing power of silver across generations, cultures, and continents. It's one of those hidden gems the powers that be don't want you to know about, even though it's literally been used for centuries. But our homies over at Silver Biotics have taken silver to the next level with their unique SilverSol technology. SilverSol starts with a metallic nanoparticle, layers on a super-thin silver oxide coating, then suspends it in a liquid base. This process gives it multiple modes of action and actually lets you take much less than you'd need with other ionic or colloidal silver particles. This gives it multiple modes of action and it actually lets you take much less than you need with other ionic or colloidal silver particles. Silver Biotics offers a slew of products ranging from skin and oral care to wound care and immune support, and all of their products inhibit the growth of microbes, fungus, and mold. But get this, multiple studies have shown SilverSol to be microbiome-friendly, so that means it doesn't harm the beneficial gut bacteria that we all need to thrive. I just love this stuff, and I'm quite certain that you will too, and you can find it at silverbiotics.com, and the discount code there is Luke, which saves you 30% on everything. Oh, and here's a hot tip for you pet lovers out there. They've even got a line called Pet Vet, 
to keep your little furries one tip-top without exposing them to any wacky scents or toxic ingredients. A few times a week, I put a few drops of this in Cookie's food, and she's doing great. Again, visit silverbiotics.com, and the code is Luke. In respect to Maui, there were a lot of anomalous uh, documentation of, you know, cars being melted <laughs> to the ground and their wheels being melted and so on, and then trees standing right next to them totally untouched. And also uh, another thing that's been kind of spreading around um, social media, at least before that story was eclipsed by the issues in the Middle East, were homes with blue roofs and blue cars and blue umbrellas and beach chairs and things being totally unscathed by these crazy hot fires, which led people to question whether or not um, you know, energy weapons had been used. Do you see any legitimate verifiable evidence to that fact? I can't speak on to the blue roofs and blue umbrellas. I would, you know, that's that's data that's uh, picked and chosen from various sources and sites. I, I can't speak to that. As far as the cars and how they look, if your listeners search roadside car fire and look at the images, and I've seen many because I used to drive desert roads on the way to Las Vegas, and we see these incinerated cars. Once you get that car going and the gas begins to burn, they typically, they don't explode. They just burn, and for an extended period of time, the cars look exactly the same. If we look at the cars that we just saw in Israel at the music festival, they look exactly the same. They certainly didn't, Hamas certainly doesn't have space laser weapons. So again, do, do directed energy weapons exist? Yes, HARP is a form of directed energy weapon because they can direct this microwave into the atmosphere and, and heat the atmosphere. Could they start a fire on the ground with a directed energy weapon from an airborne platform. That's the key part of this, from an airborne platform. Yes, they could start a fire, but why would they need to when any moron with a match can do the same thing? So what, however the fire started, again, that narrative tends to eclipse the geoengineering factor, which is the core of the equation, in regard to the trees. Luke, when you see a forest fire burning over large swaths of forest, you don't see dusty, barren hills left. You see standing trees everywhere. Because a live tree can't burn to the ground. It can't. And I, I've fought wildland fires on the front line myself, running D6 CAT. I've, I've, my father was an arborist. I mean, this is a lot of my background. I've done six habitat restoration projects. I ran them all, three state, three federal, in Northern California forest. And so we see these things being grabbed at that, that unfortunately eclipse the climate engineering factor, which is the core factor, and, and that's not helping the cause. So trees like redwoods, when we see in some of the fires in California where there's a redwood standing near a home that didn't seem to be burnt much, redwoods don't really burn. They're not a pitch-based tree. So that's why they're so resilient. And in fact, I have 100 redwoods planted around my home specifically for that reason. And I found photographs, 100-year-old photographs from 1923 of the massive Berkeley fire in California. Historical photographs, and they look exactly the same. Exactly. These standing trees, because they have a Cambrian layer that's wet, they're not a pitch-based tree. And, and again, the, the, the structure fire with the bellows effect creates a lot of heat, depending on where the heat plume's blowing, blowing. If it's not blowing at the tree, you can have a tree that looks pretty unscathed next to a home like that. So again, all those factors 
that people are grabbing at and not bringing up the climate engineering issue is obscuring the climate engineering issue. And one final point, Luke, you've probably seen the trees burning on the inside and people claim that's that's a sign of a directed energy weapon. You've probably yeah, seen that, yeah. one, right? So that specific narrative is what's keeping Cal Fire officials, whom I know, that's the biggest fire agency in the world, and they won't address the climate engineering issue because they don't want to be associated with that narrative because they know how false it is and I know how false it is and let's weave that into what we have here because I've seen it I myself I've seen it a hundred times fighting fires in the front line they've seen it many more times trees are dying from the inside out you have this intense UV that bakes the Cambrian layer off the sun exposed side of the tree sometimes it bakes it from tip to trunk you'll have a stripe going right at the tree that is over the course of years has killed that Cambrian layer. So now you have the core wood exposed, which kills the core wood. Core wood dries, it's pulpy. And when you have embers blowing through a forest, it hits that core wood and it ignites it very quickly. And that tree will burn with a stripe going all the way up it. And I, I've seen trees that look like a torch in the forest. If they're the core wood's rotted, they have an opening at the bottom and they have an opening at the top. And, and once that core wood starts, it's, it's dead and you get a venting in the bottom, it literally blows out the top like a torch. But that is not from some sort of directed energy weapon. And let's, one final, very important note, laser anything, even if they had an airborne platform big enough to carry that kind of weaponry, and the same kind of weaponry on the ground, by the way, I want to state this is important, same type of weaponry that could do what is being claimed on the ground, it takes, it takes 18 semi-trucks to move that weapon. It's about a million and a half pounds. There's no aircraft that can carry a million and a half pound anything. So that's prohibitive. But when you have any kind of particulate matter in the air, i.e. smoke, laser anything cannot work, can't work. It can't penetrate and function through that particulate matter. Same is true in the Middle East when they have sandstorms, they can't use laser targeting. So there's all these factors that people should be more careful and cautious about. And let's stick to the building blocks that we know are occurring, that we can verify are occurring, and then we won't obscure the climate engineering issue, which is core to all of it. And, and again, I'm not denying that laser weapons exist. They do exist. But I'm stating that we have uh, a lot of straw grabbing in that arena. And, and let's stand on credible data. And that's how we move this fight forward. I love it. Thanks for, thanks for clarifying that. I, th I think humans like myself are sometimes prone to fantasies. You know, we're really intrigued by things that are super outlandish, right? So we kind of you said are grasping for straws, trying to find answers when something doesn't make sense. And sometimes the most fantastic reason for something seems like the most enticing when there's something right in front of us, like you're describing, that's absolutely verifiable, provable, irrefutable. <laughs> well, as a whole, I mean, your conclusions think... have been so on target. And when we look at, again, if we take the Lahaina situation, we had a lot of wooden structures, we had flash drought, incendiary dust. And, and let me add this too. Because we, we filmed over the Paradise Fire, directly over the smoke canopy, this is in the dimming, we filmed blanket aerosol spraying operations directly over that smoke canopy while the fire was burning. That can only be nefarious. Were they dropping an accelerant through the smoke canopy? That is absolutely possible, if not completely probable. So when we look at Lahaina again, the incendiary dust, the bellows effect, which is blowtorching the wind through those structures at an imaginable velocity. And if you've ever been on a forest fire, again, if, if you have a 10 mile an hour wind, that can be brutal. 
80 is inconceivable. It's inconceivable. You, it, it would create unimaginable heat plumes and temperatures. And we see melted rims on cars. Again, aluminum rims. Aluminum melts at 1,200 degrees. You can do it in a campfire. So people need to do some of the math on some of these things. And, and again, not at all saying that event was natural. It was anything but. Nothing natural about that event. That was an attack, period. And we see the big wind being kicked up in many of the other fires now. We, we see that, and we know they can manipulate that. When you manipulate atmospheric pressure zones, which I've described already, you can manipulate surface wind flows, and they are definitely doing that. And the degree to which those, I mean, is it not fantastic and almost inconceivable, but yet hard science fact that HARP in Alaska can heat the ionosphere to unimaginably high temperatures over a thousand degrees over a 400 square mile area. It's, it's inconceivable because it causes this electrical chain reaction in the atmosphere. Is that not completely science fiction? That's, but it's true. It's absolutely true. So we have elements in this that are almost inconceivable, but they're backed up by hard science. If, if your listeners search ionosphere heater and look that up, and yes, official sources try to deny what HARP is. They try to play it off like some benign research station. HARP is a weapon of mass destruction, period. And, and if you want to take this further into, into the what is fantastic but true, seismic activity, Luke, can HARP... That's, that's where I was going to go next. We're on the same page. There is hard data to back that up. We've done a report to GMG.org to back that up, and that is a, an absolutely almost impossible to comprehend factor for most people, but it's backed up by hard science. If we look at the Japanese quake in 2011, we have MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, stating on the record, your listeners can all look this up, if they search Japanese earthquake atmospheric heating, MIT acknowledged what they couldn't explain, extremely anomalous atmospheric heating directly above the epicenter for three days prior to that quake. So why would the U.S. want to wreak such havoc on an ally country because Japan was starting to build relations with its regional partners, including China. U.S. did not want that. And after the Japanese disaster in 2011, then Japan was right back in the U.S. hip pocket. Let's look at what's happened in Haiti. Same thing. We had U.S. We had U.S. diplomats pulled out hours before the massive quakes hit Haiti. We had in Christchurch, New Zealand, we had John Kerry fly during a U.S. presidential election, he flew to Antarctica, where we know there is an ionosphere heater, flew back to Christchurch, pulled U.S. diplomats out, and hours later, the massive quake hit Christchurch. Let's look at Turkey, that just literally four days after their president spoke out against NATO, they get annihilated. And while this whole fiasco in the Middle East is going on, how many earthquakes have just hit Afghanistan again, and nobody even knows about it, killing thousands I, I don't know if you've even seen that on the news because they're trying to seems block it out. No. We've had about six earthquakes hit Afghanistan in the last week and nobody's even talking about it, leveling certain regions. So we know that when you transmit microwave power into a seismically sensitive region of strata and you create heating, you create you can create seismic activity. And that science is very well documented. What happens when you put something in the microwave too long and heat it up, it, it expands, it explodes. When you microwave strata, same thing, very well documented. And, and to, to leave it with this, I was personal friends with General Albert Stubblebein, the highest ranking U.S. military officer to speak out about 9-11 and what really happened. And General Burt told me 
that his Pentagon contacts told him the quake was intended in Japan. Fukushima meltdown was not intended. When you trigger an M9 earthquake, bad things happen. That's the military industrial complex never considers the consequences of what they do. So that's called a tectonic weapon and they exist and they're real. That's so funny. I had that written on my post-it note right here <laughs> on my studio <laughs> desk uh, was Haiti and Fukushima. When Haiti happened, I, I, I think some years before that, I had read a book and watched a documentary called, I think it was called uh, Angels Don't Play That Harp, if I'm not mistaken. And it was exposing, yes, yes. you know, the, the harp systems and, you know, call me paranoid or intuitive, maybe a little bit of both. But when that Haiti earthquake happened and within hours, George Bush and Bill Clinton were on the ground there, <laughs> I knew something was off. And, and I thought they must have made this earthquake with, with the harp, you know, and then same thing with Fukushima. Um, you know, again, just kind of a gut feeling. And I don't know if I even ever mentioned it to someone, but especially with Haiti, uh, it just it just seemed, you know, the the course of events that followed and then these Clinton Foundation organizations and all of this money laundering and misappropriation of f funds donated to help the people recover and the people weren't helped and all the money was stolen. And you could kind of see in the aftermath that there was some sort of planning that went into it. It wasn't just luck or happenstance that all of these vultures sort of showed up and imposed themselves on that island for their resources, real estate, whatever the case was. So I'm really glad you you brought that up. Uh, something I think many people aren't aware of that have some degree of awareness that HARP exists in Alaska. But from my understanding, there are a number of these different technologies at strategic locations all over the world in different countries. Is that is that truly the case? Yes. We think, we think about 100. There are different designs. Harp is the most powerful, but the others do exist. And again, it brought uh, havoc for a very long time. We have the Chilean earthquake in the uh, your decades past as well during key political upheaval and crisis. And there's the, all these puzzle pieces completely connect. And we know the technology behind this is real. It's not scientifically disputed. So uh, this... Again, this aspect, this tectonic weapon, again, one more form of covert weapon that the controllers can use and blame it on nature. And that is why climate engineering is their crown jewel weapon. They can drought out nations. They can deluge those nations and blame it on nature or climate change. And do we have disaster capitalists profiting off of the collapsing climate? Yes, of course. Why wouldn't we? How many disaster capitalists do we have in wars? And we have people funding, the case of the central bankers, funding both sides of the conflict. But does that mean the conflict didn't happen? Does that mean people didn't die? No, doesn't mean that. And so I want to caution people when they see Al Gore making money off climate collapse, that doesn't mean it's not real. So it, it's we have to separate the baby from the bathwater here, if you will. We would expect the disaster capitalists to make money off these things, but that doesn't mean the ship isn't going down. They're, I, I've equated them in the past to the pirates on the, ship of, on the deck of a sinking ship filling their pockets with loot. How much good will that do them on a dead planet? It won't. So again, I'm asking people to look at statistics and data, not to believe me, but to look at our data at geoengineeringwatch.org, to look at what they're not being told while we're seeing Trump theater or Biden theater, and we have insect populations collapsing, plankton populations collapsing, animal populations collapsing. Uh, we have crops collapsing. South America just lost half its, its soy crop, half. Missouri just lost half its corn crop. Uh, people aren't hearing any of this. We're, we're, we're headed fast toward empty store shelves, ozone layer functionally collapses, um, the party's over. 
And, and I would argue from any, from any perspective, what we've known is done, not coming back. And we are very close to very big shoes dropping, much bigger than what we've seen even in the last week or two. And the nuclear aspect of part of this that some in Washington even see as, quote, a benefit to have a nuclear exchange to mimic the temporary cooling effects of a nuclear volcano or a nuclear winter, excuse me, is that not the epitome of insanity? If they do that, if they have even a limited nuclear exchange, we're done. Game over. The ionizing radiation will strip away what's left of the ozone layer. Game over again. Done. Wow. I like that you brought up the kind of uh, climate change denialism. You know, it's like if you speak out against those profiteers, you know, the Al Gore and sort of dismiss climate change because of the narrative and the ensuing communism that it brings with it, then a label similar to conspiracy theorists that will be applied to you is a climate change denialist. It's another derogatory term that they've come up with to shut people down. And so I, I like that distinction that you made that it's not that we need to deny that there is climate change, but pay attention to what is actually at the root of the climate change and and what's changing the climate the fastest and with the most destructive, um, you know, uh, momentum, right? And that that's kind of when I do these posts on Instagram, I'm like, if you guys want to talk about climate change, let's talk about the things that matter about climate change, not cow farts, right? It's like the climate is changing, but it's being changed, right? It's not just some haphazard side effect of humanity living and farming on the planet and an industry that's a part of it, but it's the intentionality with which it's being changed that I think we're really pointing to here in this conversation. So that's a it's a really great distinction and also a great defense for someone who, you know, dismisses the official narrative of climate change, you know, where they can be targeted for that in a most, you know, uh, made fun of to just kind of re refocus their efforts into talking about the climate change that is the most meaningful. And I think that's what we're doing today. To hone that down even a bit further, I would be careful about, um, I would caution care in regard to any, even in any sense, denying that we've been poor stewards of the planet because we definitely have, I, I, I can't stress that enough. Again, it's hard to conceive that we're going through a hundred million barrels of carbon fuel a day. And to, and to make that equation, another aspect of that, we we are becoming, it's it's we're heading toward an energy net negative equation on even energy extraction. In the year 1900, one barrel of oil could get 100 more out of the ground. Now it takes one barrel of oil to get five out of the ground because we are, we are diminishing the low-hanging fruit, if you will. And when we have other sources like the tar sands, that's an energy net negative. It actually takes more energy to utilize that energy than we get out of it. It's an energy conversion at a net loss. So-called renewable energy, which isn't, and that's my background, my home, again, off-grid, I have wind, hydro, solar. But that's only a carbon fuel extender at best. So, you know, there's a lot of intricate layers to this arguments. It, it again, is, is this and that equation. But the most effective approach I would, I would advise people when you're talking to the left, the hard left that um, is is committed to the climate change narrative in its current form, if you will, the most effective with those people is to not not even enter other arguments other than this, to say there is no legitimate discussion about climate anything from any perspective without addressing this issue. It's not a denial of other sources of damage. 
Not saying that, but I'm saying, how can you even have a conversation without addressing this biggest single factor of all, this most disruptive disruptive single factor of all? And that applies to the right as well, that would, would pretend there's nothing wrong with the climate. And that's obviously not true either. Even if we pretended climate engineering was the only problem, it's a massive problem. So there's lots of denial to go around from all sides of the fence. But if we narrow it down to a bridge building argument, hey, we can't have a discussion about this without addressing climate engineering first. Let's address that. Let's solve that. Let's stop that. And then we'll assess where we're at. Love it. Great perspective. In closing here, my friend, what are some practical steps people can take in terms of building awareness? You know, um, I think about sometimes I want to print up a bunch of stickers and just stick them on every gas pump I go to or hand them to pilots or any friends that I meet in the military or if I interview someone that's in any way involved in politics or environmentalism to share that information with them. Um, I, I can see why there aren't a lot of whistle, whistleblowers from the inside on, on this particular issue because we see what happens to them in the case of uh, Edward Correct. Snowden and you know, Julian Assange and people like that, it's like, oh, okay, no wonder no one's blowing the whistle on this because you end up in prison or dead, you know. Um, But in a grassroots kind of bottom-up way, what are some just quick sort of recommendations you could give people? Obviously, sharing this podcast and your website and your film, The Dimming, far and wide, you know, with as many human beings as possible is one easy step. Um, Are there any other practical ways that people can start to create more awareness about this and avoid being called a conspiracy theory or tinfoil hatter and just dismissed as a loon? Well, you're on the right track, exactly. You share credible data from a credible source. And that's why, again, we, we're non-political, no commercials. And, and sharing direct links like to the dimming can go a long way to waking somebody up. And in regards to printed materials, we offer those at geoengineeringwatch.org for less than our cost of producing in mass quantity and shipping. Again, even though we're in the red, our only goal is to distribute those materials. They're on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. We have cards. We have 20-page booklets. Um, it's Again, we it's a lot of material for the, the, the price we have on it. We're, we're passing it on only with the goal of trying to stop this issue while it can still matter. Having a little bit of a current um, issue with PayPal, uh, they're becoming harder to work with. We're trying to uh, solve that. You can still access them through our site. We're trying to give other options as quick as we can. We have a, a PO box mailing address and we can take orders by mail that way as well. But again, we're passing those materials on at a net loss to try to get them into circulation. And when you pass somebody a, a picture of satellite images, gag order, um, all that, and they when they see some of the satellite images we have, Luke, I mean, you don't need to know anything about meteorology, climate engineering, you can look at that and know something is radically wrong. And so bottom line, whether it's with printed materials or just links for free from the website, pass on images, pass on something that people can look at. Don't go out in the street and rant and look, point at the sky. That shuts people down. But we're playing chess. We need to learn how to play well. And there's an activist suggestions link on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org as well. And that provides specific instructions on for example, with media or elected officials, use the science terms. Don't use the chemtrail term. Descriptive, good for personal conversations, but not for these entities. So there's just certain basic no's, do's and don'ts. And if people follow that, again, and learn how to play chess well, they'll be much more successful. They'll wake people up around them. That will empower them. That generates momentum. We're Now we're at the 100th monkey equation. Um, that's how you reach an exponential level of awareness. Awesome, man. Thank you. 
Great, great advice. And I'm really excited that you have all those resources on your site. I wasn't even aware of the printable materials and all that. So that's super helpful. Uh, Last question for you is this, my friend, I'll let you go. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work that you'd like to share with us? Stoics fell in my lap when I was 14. Uh, Epictetus, the discourses of Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, um, and Eckhart Tolle, I have found helpful as well. So, but my staple, Luke, that, and thank you for asking, it fell into my lap when I was 14. The discourses of Epictetus, Stoic philosopher, 2000 year old, rules for life that are inarguable now, that don't conflict with, uh, in fact, are very uh, parallel with many spiritual traditions, just basic logical rules for life and preserving our virtue, our honor, our morality, the only true possessions that we can call our own. And and so the Stoics would be a primary anchor for that. Awesome, man. Thanks for sharing. That makes a lot of sense based on your perspective and the work you do around this issue. You know, I mean, you're passionate, but I can tell you're not driven by emotionality and also that you're very fact and data driven and refuse to wander into the territory of speculation. <laughs> so your, your approach to your work is pretty stoic. So that makes sense and probably is one of the reasons you're so effective and uh, had such a great time speaking with you today, man. So thank you for your dedication to the truth. Thank you for caring about the planet and the people and plants and animals on it. Uh, I applaud you and I can't wait to share this episode with everyone else in the world. Team effort. Team effort, Lou. Thank you so much for, for your very accurate observations. You're willing to address this issue and all the effort you've made to sound the alarm on on numerous things. And again, your your correct prioritization of this issue in our skies is is being so key. And it's it's all of our efforts together that can yet make a difference at this late hour. So same gratitude to you and all your listeners and followers. 